All right, so we're going to go ahead and continue on in the book of John, and uh, uh, today we're going through verses 19 through 34. The first chapter of John is so big that it actually takes three, three weeks to get through it, and there's actually quite a few chapters in, in the gospel of John that are going to be like this, uh, which is why it's going to take us to the middle of next year to get all the way through it. But we're going to go through it verse by verse, not skip anything, deal with the, uh, even the hard parts. So, uh, but today, uh, the, the Apostle John, and this is going to be a hard one today because we're going to be talking about the Apostle John writing about John the Baptist. So when I say John, you're going to have to listen very closely to know which one I'm talking about. Hallelujah. So uh, he's going to speak a lot about John the Baptist today. He's going to talk a little bit more detail about his testimony of Jesus Christ. And turns out John the Baptist is actually a pretty important character in the New Testament. If you don't know this, but he was mentioned almost 90 times in the New Testament. And it was his job to introduce the Israelites to Jesus, to prepare them to receive their coming Messiah. And he called people to repentance, and then he had them demonstrate that repentance by being baptized and then calling them to live their lives in accordance with repenting. You know, that's the thing about uh, uh, when, when you repent, it's not just something you do at one moment up on an altar somewhere, but it's something that you demonstrate with how you live your life. That's the thing with repentance. It's not just a one-time decision. It's actually the way you live your life, turning away from sin and towards God. And you'll remember last week that the Apostle John wrote briefly about John the Baptist, and he kind of summarized what John had to say about Jesus, and that was that one, Jesus was the one that he was preparing the way for, and two, that Jesus was eternal, even though he was older than John, and we know this because Jesus was born physically after John, but John said he is the one that comes before me. And today, John the Apostle is going to give us a little more detail, detail about John the Baptist. I feel like I'm going to have to say the titles every single time so we know who I'm talking about the whole time. So if it gets annoying, sorry. I didn't name them both John. So <laughs> and the, the main purpose of today is that we're going to, uh, really, um, John is trying to demonstrate the difference between the announcer and the one who's being announced. So, with no further ado, let's get started. And 1 John 1, 19-21, it says, This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So when John began to perform his ministry, and he began to address the Jews, he'd been calling into repentance, he began starting to baptize them, the local leaders of the, of the Jewish community, they began to take notice. And they're like, what is this guy doing? So they went ahead, and the, the local Jewish leaders here, this is near uh, Bethany, he sent them out to investigate who this John guy is and what he was doing. And the funny thing is, is that it's really easy when you read this, like, oh man, those crazy Jewish people, those crazy priests and Levites getting out there messing with God's plan. But the truth is, this is their job. They are the ones, they're the custodians of the Jewish faith. 
when somebody's out there preaching something that you're not heard before, it's their job to go out there and investigate what's going on. So they're not doing anything wrong. They're just doing their job. They're trying to figure out what the deal was. And they wanted to, we realize, you know, in hindsight that they didn't understand that John was actually preaching the right thing and, and, and they don't get it. And we see throughout the entire New Testament that they're always going against what God is trying to do through Jesus. But um, the reality is, is they were doing the right thing. And the truth is, if somebody came to me and, and they wanted to preach in our church, I need to know who they are. I need to get to know them. I need to know what message they're going to preach because ultimately I'm responsible for what messages are preached from this, from this uh, not a stage, pulp, whatever you want to call it, this, this small carpeted area up here where I preach from. And uh, the, the reality is, is it's my responsibility for who's going to preach. So I'm going to investigate, well, what message are you going to preach? Who are you? That's why... Um, I'm not a, many people say, oh, I know this person, I know this person, can we bring him in, can we do this? And I'm usually quite hesitant, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but I take that very seriously. I need to know who I'm going to have up, and I want to meet them and know them and understand them. And it's why that when I do have guest speakers come in, these are, are people that I know, or they're people associated with people that I really trust and know. So I'm, I'm very careful about who is up here preaching. And it's their, it's the, the Jewish leader's responsibility and it's their place to deal with what's being ministered to their people. And their first question, I think, is a pretty logical one. Basically, who are you? And it seems to be the way that he responds, I'm not the Christ. The first question is, you know, the general question is, who are you? But they begin being specific, are you the Christ? To which John replied, I am not. But it's more than that because isn't this a weird phrase? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. That almost doesn't even seem to make any sense. He confessed to not be the Christ and did not deny. Did, then he, what he's trying to say, or what John is emphasizing here, is, is by saying that he confessed and did not deny. He didn't simply deny being the Christ. But he says, no, he confessed. This was an emphatic I am not the Christ. Let there be no confusion. I want you to understand and there be no doubt that I am not the Christ. He was making it clear. And then they asked, well, are you Elijah? And this seems to be a weird, weird question because as far as I'm aware, reincarnation is not a big part of Judaism or Christianity. But the reason they asked this question is because it, it, there's a reference in Malachi. And this is what Malachi said in, in Malachi 4.5. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So before the Messiah was to come, the prophet Elijah was to return. So this is why they're asking him this question. And this makes kind of sense because if you think about it, John the Baptist's ministry was a lot like Elijah's. They were both there to herald the word of the Lord. Uh, John even kind of dressed like Elijah out there, dressed all crazy, eating all crazy. Everybody thought he was weird. He was, he was kind of out there just like Elijah was. And uh, once again, he answered that he wasn't Elijah. Now, this is super interesting to me because, in a sense, he was the Elijah that was to come before, um, before Jesus was to come. And Jesus even said so in Matthew 17, 10 through 13. It says, and the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. 
But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he was speaking of them, of John the Baptist. So John says he's not Elijah. Jesus says that this is the Elijah Malachi was talking about, so who's correct? Seems like it's at odds, but the reality is they're, they're both right. The reality is, is, is John didn't recognize himself as Elijah because he wasn't, he was John. He wasn't Elijah like reincarnated or something, somehow came, stepped out of heaven and came back or whatever it is. He was John. So he said, are you Elijah? He says, no, I'm John. But Jesus recognized that he was the type of prophet that Elijah was. He was a type and shadow of Elijah. He was like Elijah. So Jesus said that he's the one that fulfilled the, the prophecy that Malachi had made. This was Elijah. He's not physically Elijah. He's not actually Elijah, but he was a type of Elijah. He was the type of prophet like Elijah declaring the Lord. So that's where you see that difference in there. Um, but once again, he said, are you Elijah? He says, no, I'm not Elijah. And then they said, well, are you the prophet? And the prophet that they're talking about, this is the one spoken of in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18, 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And they said, are you this prophet that was talking about in Deuteronomy? And, and once again, he says, no. And you'll notice, I think it's funny. First, he says, I am not the Christ, a full sentence. He says, are you Elijah? I am not. It's getting a little bit shorter. Finally, he says, are you the prophet? He's like, no. It's almost like he's getting annoyed, <laughs> like answering these questions. Like, listen, I'm not all these things. The reason why, I think, is because who John was wasn't important. John's job wasn't to elevate his own ministry. John's job was to point to Jesus. He's like, listen, why are you guys so concerned about who I am? Aren't, don't you hear the message that I'm preaching? Don't you hear what I'm talking about? You shouldn't be asking me who I am. You should be asking about him. But nonetheless, these guys, these, these, these priests, they had a job to do. So as we continue on in, in uh, verse 22, it says, So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. They needed an answer to go back to, to where they were going. So John's getting annoyed that they're asking about who he is when he just wants to point to Jesus. But they still have a job to do. They've got to take an answer back to the Jewish leaders that had sent them out. So he says, listen, then who are you? We have to take an answer back. And he finally answers, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. And this is interesting because this is a reference to Isaiah 43, where it says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You see, John was saying, Listen, I have been prophesied about. I'm the one that was talked about that is out there supposed to be heralding the coming of the Messiah. I'm the one that's out there crying out, saying, be ready for the Christ to come. That's who I am. His purpose was to let them know Jesus was coming. But the interesting thing is, is that his, who he was wasn't about an identity in him. He was a voice. He was a voice. Voices are heard. They're not seen. 
It's kind of the opposite. Like my grandparents and, and uh, their generation, the idea was that children are to be, to be seen and not heard. John was the opposite. He was to be heard and not seen. He was the one that was supposed to be crying out and making a way for the Lord. That's who John was. And, and John wanted them to say, I don't want anybody looking at me. I'm not trying to start a new religion. I'm not trying to get something going here. I'm not trying to elevate myself. The truth is, is that I'm here to point to the one who's going to come and save the world. I'm pointing to the Messiah. And he, that's what he wanted them looking at. And then it continues on in verse 24 through 28. He says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So now we find out it was actually the, the sect of the Jews called the Pharisees that went ahead and sent these priests and Levites to question John. And the Pharisees were actually a, a pretty strong and important sect of Judaism at the time. And, and as I was studying and researching this, this is what the Bible Knowledge Commentary says about them. It says, one, they had great power and authority among the Jews that were of this time. And not only that, they were the most influential group, influential sect of Judaism in the current Jewish community at the time. Um, they held a very strict interpretation of the law, and they were the only minor group to survive the Jewish war of AD 66 to 70. And actually, their teachings are what forms the basis for the Talmudic Judaism today. Talmudic Judaism is what they refer to as uh, uh, rabbinic Judaism. As far as I understand it, it's what has basically replaced um, the Judaism that required sacrifices and, and, and the temple. So it's the Judaism that came up after that. It's called rabbinic or Talmudic Judaism. And, and, but the Pharisees' teachings were the only sect that survived that war, and that's actually what makes up the basis of what most Jewish uh, people of Jewish faith hold up today. And now they want to know, and this is a legitimate question, listen, if you're not any of these people, if you're not Christ, Elijah, or the prophet, basically if you don't have a title, if you don't have some sort of authority, why is it that you are baptizing? What gives you the right to be baptizing these people? And an even bigger thing that I found out when I'm studying this is the Jews weren't unaware of baptism. But the, the, when Jews baptized, they, were, they would baptize Gentiles who wanted to adopt the Jewish faith, which ironically is what the Jews were called to do was to make to go out and actually make converts of the whole world. They're supposed to convert everyone to Judaism. That's what they were supposed to do. Um, but they went ahead, and when a Gentile wanted to adopt the Jewish faith, they would go ahead and baptize them into the faith. But Jewish people didn't get baptized. They were already in the faith. So now we have John not baptizing Gentiles, but now he's baptizing Jews. They probably thought he was trying to start his own thing. He was baptizing them into to his new thing, but that's not what he was doing. The reality is also that they're asking you who's, you know, basically if you don't have a title, whose authority are you doing this under? John wasn't baptizing under the authority of men. He was baptizing under the authority of God. God is the one that sent him to do these things, to baptize. 
And then he once again says, listen, I'm going to differentiate my ministry from the one who comes. I'm going to point out once again that I don't want you looking at me. I'm actually pointing for someone who is to come. So he takes this opportunity to say that, listen, I'm talking about the Messiah. I'm pointing to him. He says, listen, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even one who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Saying there is someone coming that is so much greater, that is so much better than me. I don't know why you're so concerned about me. I keep pointing to this other guy who you should be focusing on. I keep pointing to the Messiah. I keep pointing to Christ. I keep saying this over and over and over, but all you guys want to do is know about me. What is your, what is your, your malfunction? This is the guy you need to be worried about. I'm not even worthy to t- untie his sandal. The one that was coming after him, the one he was heralding, was so much greater than him. Jesus was the important one, not him. Then it continues on in verse 29. This is the next day. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. So this is the day after the Jews had come and began grilling John, trying to figure out who he is and what he was doing there and what right he had to do it. And as John was baptizing, he sees Jesus approach, and he declares, hey, listen, this is the one I'm talking about. It's likely that even some of those people that were grilling him yesterday were there, and he's like, you remember yesterday you asked me all those questions? This is the guy that I was talking about. He's coming up right now, and he declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. And this imagery of a lamb would have been immediately recognized by the Jewish officials, the leaders, and even just the, the regular Jewish people there. They would have immediately recognized and associated this with either the Passover lamb, which you can read about in Exodus 12, or the lambs used in the daily sacrifices for atonement. And you can read about those in Leviticus 14 or number 6 if you're interested in more detail about those, those sacrifices. In addition, the prophet Isaiah spoke prophetically of the Messiah being like a lamb led to the slaughter. And this is in Isaiah 53.7. It says, he was oppressed... He was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Already had this imagery of Jesus being a lamb, a lamb, a sacrificial lamb had been prophetically spoken of. They're used to this idea. And John says, listen, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because the blood of Jesus Christ would actually atone for all of our sins. And it would keep us from the judgment to come, just like the blood of the lamb on the doorposts in Egypt that kept those who had the blood on the, on the doorposts, that kept them from the judgment of God that came when the angel came to kill all the firstborn sons. Jesus' blood was going to cover us just like that. And once again, he affirms Jesus' deity by saying that he's the one that came before me. He ranks before me, and he came before me. And at this point, John can't be confused because he sees Jesus. It is very likely that he knew who Jesus was. 
It's interesting to me because he sees Jesus coming and, and while we don't have the details, we don't have it recorded, John and Jesus were cousins. It is likely that they spent time together. It's likely that he, that, that, that they, he knew who Jesus was. I mean, we know that Mary visited, uh, uh, I'm blanking on Elizabeth. Yeah, I blanked on her name. Uh, Elizabeth, when, when Elizabeth was pregnant with John, and uh, also she was pregnant with Jesus, and, and, and uh, the baby leapt in the womb. So, so we know that they were close enough that they would visit on occasion, and it's likely that, that John knew Jesus. But it wasn't until now that God revealed who Jesus was to John. He says, this is whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, he just saw Jesus. He knows that Jesus was born after him. He knows that he is the old one, but he still says these things it's because there's an understanding that Jesus is more than, than just a man on this earth. And this is why he said that I didn't know him, but I was... <laughs> Google tried to help us, or iPhone, Siri. <laughs> but this is why, man, I'm all lost now. This, but this is why John said, I didn't even have to add you to the sermon and you made the sermon. What's going on here? <laughs> or one of her biggest fears is that I'm going to use her as an example in a sermon. So now she just used herself. <laughs> So that's why, but that's why John said, I didn't know him. It's not that he didn't know him physically. He had to have known who Jesus was, but he didn't know up until this time that Jesus was the one that God had spoken to him about, who he was heralding in. And then he begins to realize this is the one that was sent to take away the sins of the world. I didn't know him, but this is the purpose I came baptizing in water so that he would be revealed to Israel. And then one final note before we leave this part. It's interesting to me as it says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, when Jesus came, he didn't take, just deal with the sin of those who would one day believe. He didn't just deal with the sin of a subset of people on this earth, but he dealt with the sin of the entire world. This means that sin has been dealt with, period. Jesus has dealt with sin. No one is going to hell for their specific sins. They're going to hell. Anybody who's going to hell is doing so because they didn't put their faith in Jesus Christ and accept him as their savior and receive that free gift of self of salvation. And it's not until they reject this free gift of salvation that they're actually put in a position to pay the penalty themselves for the sin that they committed. Now, I understand that the Bible says that those who... Uh, who are living in sin, they're storing up wrath for themselves in heaven. So if you go to hell, if you reject that free gift, you are going to give an account for your sin because it's storing up for you. But until you reject that gift, free gift of salvation, that sin is dealt with. It's, it's the, the, the body of sin is dealt with. And the only reason you're put in that position is by not accepting Jesus Christ, not your individual sins, amen, because he died for the whole world. Every single person. So then in verse 32, as we go on, after that little aside, it says, the next day he saw, G oh, sorry, that's not 32. 
There you go, the clicker worked. Verse 32, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. So now this event is actually described in in, uh, Matthew's gospel as well. And this is where John the Baptist is actually baptizing Jesus. John doesn't go ahead and go into great detail of what happened. But we can read about it in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. It says, And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for this it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and come to rest upon him. And behold, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So now we have this this, this picture or this reality of Jesus coming to be baptized by John. And every scholar agrees that baptism in, in those days was full immersion baptism. There was no sprinkling back then. If you got baptized, you were put in the water and you were taken out of it. And when Jesus was baptized, we're already seeing a picture of his death his burial being put under the water, and then his resurrection being pulled back up out of the water. And those things, that's why Jesus said, let's do this. It's fitting for, for righteous, because those things were a picture of Jesus um, fulfilling all righteousness when he actually went to the cross, died, and then rose again for our sins. And even when we are baptized now, that is what we're doing. It is a representation of us, by faith, dying with Christ being buried, and then rising again to newness of life. And then also another thing that I find interesting is that here is one of the few times that you see all three persons of the Godhead, of the Trinity, present at the same time. In this this story, we know that Jesus is physically there. He's the one being baptized. And then we see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove onto Jesus and this is always an interesting phrase to me. A lot of people, when you see a picture of this, you actually see a, a little uh, glowy dove or something coming. Now, it doesn't say he, he was a dove. It says he descended like a dove, which means he came out of the sky and flew down on Jesus. <laughs> That's how I understand it. Um, I, I think we're going a little, a little over the top to say that the Holy Spirit is in the imagery of a dove. But maybe it was. I don't know. I wasn't there. And this is what we got. <laughs> But it says it descended like a dove on him. So now we have the Holy Spirit physically separate and present with Jesus. And then we have the, the, the Father, a voice come from heaven, completely separate from the Holy Spirit and Jesus, saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So because of that, we see all three members of the Trinity at the same time. So this rules out the idea that... that uh, um, the, the Trinity is somehow uh, transformative or, or, or where, where he's the Holy Spirit now, but then he turns into the Father, then he turns into Jesus. No, they're all there at the same time. The, the, and I understand it's hard to understand, and for those who want more detail, you can go online, and I have a whole five-week series talking about the Trinity, um, but the reality is, is there are three persons that are the same God. One God three distinct persons. Jesus is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not Jesus, but they are all equally God. 
And I understand that we, we struggle with that because there's nothing in this world that we can relate to that operates in the same way. But this is just evidence that the three of them are distinct, yet still one God. Amen? And then finally, we'll end today, verses 33 and 34. John once again says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Once again, we see John reiterating that he didn't know who Jesus was until this moment. Um, he didn't recognize, he, he knew Jesus as his cousin, but now he recognizes him as who he is. This is the Son of God. He showed up and he says, this is the Lamb of God. And God gave a sign to John. And it's interesting to me because he didn't know him. He sees him coming. And at this point he knows because he points out and says, look, here he is. This is the Lamb of God. And I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe John was like 95% sure that was him or whatever it was. But at some point God says, I'm going to give you a sign. That when you see the Spirit descend on him and remain on him, this is the one so when John baptizes Jesus, he comes out of the water, the Holy Descendant descends, and it gives him that further evidence, the proof that this is the one whom God was talking about. This is the one who would baptize, not with water like John was baptizing, but he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you realize this, but this is a pretty major upgrade to water baptism. This is what the Life Application New Testament Commentary says, and I like the way it describes it. It says, John the Baptist's baptism with water was preparatory because it was a, for repentance and symbolized the washing away of sins. Jesus, by contrast, would baptize with the Holy Spirit, imparting not only forgiveness, but also eternal life. And so this sign of the Holy Spirit descending was told by God, by God beforehand to declare without a doubt, that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the unblemished lamb who would take away the sins of the entire world. Amen.